Okay, we are in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, so if you uh, have the notes or you have your scripture or you have a Bible or a Bible on your phone or one there in your house where you're watching from, I uh, hope that you will get there and look at Ephesians chapter 4. We are in verses 1 through 13 uh, today. You know, there are a lot of people today that are very uh, health conscious. Maybe, maybe you're one of those. Uh, maybe you um, pay attention to your eating habits or you have some kind of uh, strategy about your exercise or running or whatever it is. You're doing. Some of you maybe have alternative type, uh, types of um, healthy things that you do to try to take care of yourself. That's an important thing for us to have interest in. How do we take care of our body? But in Ephesians 4, Paul describes another body. He talks to us about the body of Christ and how we should be interested in the health of the body of Christ. We can listen closely to what Paul has to say here and how God speaks through him, paying attention not to just the health options that we might deal with physically, but the eternal truth of taking care of the body uh, of Christ. So what what is a healthy body of Christ and how should we function in the body? Uh, in a, as we get to Ephesians 4, we really meet, reach the middle of this book, the middle of God's word here. Paul right here looks forward and looks back. He has guided us to think about who we are in Christ. Uh, that's what chapters 1 through 3 has been all about. And now he is pointing us to think about how do we live in Christ? Once we embrace and understand who we are in Christ, then we can understand and embrace how we are to live. He helps us to see that we are called to live a life that is worthy of the calling that we've been given. You know, you can't live a worthy life of Christ in the body by yourself. God brings us together in relationship in the church, brings us together with other believers uh, that we are not called to live this life alone. Amen? Is that right? We are called to live uh, together in him. So what makes, what makes a great church? What makes a great church is the unity of the people of God as we come together. You know, a great church is not measured by the size of a building or the programs that we have or all the things that we might be doing. But what makes up a great church is the people of God unified together in Christ. And you and I have the opportunity to make choices in how we're going to contribute to a great church. You know, it's our individual choice to walk with Christ, to walk worthy, to mature in our relationship with God that allows the church to be the influence that God wants us to be in the community around us. And so that's what we're praying for today. How can the Spirit of God help us to understand how to be a healthy body of Christ and allow us to be the church that God wants us to be? So let's hear together Ephesians beginning with chapter, uh, verse one of chapter four. Uh, the heading here in the New International Version is unity and maturity in the body of Christ. Verse one, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given in Christ who apportioned it to us. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He also, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what we're looking at today is thinking about uh, this relationship that we have with Christ through the body, uh, who is the church. You know, the people uh, make a great church. It's not just leaders or buildings or programs. God wants us all to recognize the role that we serve in building the body of Christ. So in this scripture, we're going to look at marks of a Christ-centered, healthy church body. How can we, how can we be healthy? What is the church being? What is the church going to be like? What is our role? Even in this social distancing time, how can we be God's people? Whatever is happening, wherever we are. So three marks of a Christ-centered, healthy church body. Number one, Paul tells us that a healthy church body is marked by spiritual unity. Spiritual unity. That would be a way that that marks us. Uh, The NIV says, live a life worthy of the calling. Other translation says, walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling uh, that you have received. So what, what is it that unites us? Uh, what is it that Paul talks about here that brings us together uh, in spiritual unity? Uh, the first one there that unites us is our calling. Our calling. Paul says, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling. It means how are you going to conduct your life? How are you going to live out your life on the basis of this calling? How are you going to live your life in keeping with the gospel of Christ? You know, we realize that we don't make this sharp divide between sacred and secular. You know, we don't get all sacred and religious and live a life worthy while we come to church. No, we live a life worthy of the calling wherever we go. When we go to school, where we work, wherever we are, the relationships that we have, he is calling every one of us to live our whole lives in honor to him. You know, this idea of calling, Paul refers to, goes all the way back to the beginning of the book of Ephesians. God has called us to himself by his grace. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Paul is saying that this calling is not just to a pastor or to a religious leader, but the calling is for every Christian. Christians are people that represent Christ. There is nothing more noble. Nothing greater than remembering who you are in this life in Christ and in living out your faith in him. Paul has already told us that he's a prisoner for the Lord. 
He's not just a prisoner of Rome. He's not just a prisoner of Caesar. He's not just locked up for some arbitrary reason. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He recognizes that he gives sacrifice because of the calling that he's received. So we are united together. We are not divided. Amen. We are united together in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. That was, that's what brings us together. That's what calls us to come together in worship. First, our, unite, our calling unites us. Secondly, our Christ-like conduct unites us. Christ-like conduct. So that's the phrase there. He's talking about walk worthy. Walk like Jesus. Uh, walk with the character of Christ in us. He uses these words to describe this character. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, and peace. He reminds us that he wants us to be people of humility. You know, we are to follow the example of Christ. You know, what does humility mean? Paul mentions humility in this letter as an essential characteristic of the believer. We recognize that he talks about humility that allows us to live in unity. You know, for unity to exist, there has to be a humility among the people. You know, humility in this day when this would have been written was kind of seen in a negative way. That Christians were seen negatively if they were people of humility because pride was the focus. Exalt yourself. Pamper yourself. Think about yourself first. Sounds like today, doesn't it? That's the problem. Thinking only of ourselves. Pride means that you are filled up with yourself. Humility recognizes that we are filled up with God. Paul describes humility in Philippians 2 where he talks about the importance of uh, our recognizing the importance of others more than being conceited or having rivalry among ourselves. You know, the essence of biblical humility is not thinking more of myself. It's not even really thinking less of myself. It's just thinking about myself less as I think about others. He's encouraging us to live a life of humility that allows us to be in unity together. How's your humility? How have you been living that out? Is that an expression of your Christ-like conduct? The second one he mentions here is gentleness. Here he's not talking about being timid. He's talking about being self-controlled, managing your emotions. Moses was called the meekest man on the earth, and yet he was a dynamic leader who challenged the power of, th of the throne of Egypt. He str his strength stood in God's control over him. He's reminding us that we are called not to be bullied and not to be uh, do, doing things that are not representing the spirit of Christ, but to do it in gentleness. I love uh, how in the uh, in the scripture, there are kind of pictures of this idea of gentleness. What would they mean by gentleness? One way to refer to it would have been like a medicine that provided just the cure that you needed for what you were ailing with. Isn't that great when the doctor gets it right? <laughs> and, you, and something happens, you take a medication that actually deals with and brings healing to the very thing that you're struggling with. That's that spirit of gentleness. Um, another way it might be referred to is a wind that would blow, that would push a boat along at just the right speed. Or one of my favorites is the idea of a horse, a stallion maybe, that had been broken and now was able to be able to be ridden. 
So when you think about medicine or wind or a horse, something out of control could hurt you. You know, the wrong medicine could kill you. The wind, if it gets out of control, oh, we've seen that with hurricanes and events like that, or a horse out of control could bring about destruction. But under control, those things become beautiful. And God says, I want you to have that kind of attitude, an attitude of gentleness in your heart, great power under control that can make a difference in your life. He's giving us Christ-like conduct, humility. He's recognizing gentleness. Then he mentions patience. You know, patience is how, you know, how am I doing with this in relationship to, you know, some people think the microwave is too slow. You know, it's like, give me patience and hurry up uh, with it. Uh, you know, lack of patience displays a lack of humility and a lack of, uh, of love uh, for those. You know, the idea of patience is long-tempered long-tempered. Um, you know, we know a lot more about short fuses, short-tempered than, than long-tempered. Paul says love is patient. To have patient love, we endure annoyance from others and challenges that come to us. I can get any amen. I'm going to say that one more time. <laughs> to, to, to have patient love, we endure the annoyances of others. And the challenges that come to all of us. How do you, how do you cultivate peace? Uh, we cultivate peace by relying on the spirit rather than the circumstances that are around us by meditating on the patience that Christ has shown to us. And it's easy to, to learn facts about things, but it's more difficult when you got to deal with people and you got to be patient with them. Humility, gentleness, patience, love, and peace. He's reminding us to accept one another in love, to put up with one another in love. You know, I'm so thankful that I married somebody that knows how to put up with me, right? You know, it's a, that's the way relationships work. And that's the way it works in the body of Christ as well. You know, we don't necessarily agree about everything, but we can be unified together in the relationship that God has given us through our calling and our Christ-like conduct. And number, the third part of that is our oneness, our oneness uh, as he brings us together. What he's talking about here um, is saying that we find oneness in Christ. He, the phrase there is that we find the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, that we are unified together. He says, make every effort to be unified together. That's not always easy, but you can't make the effort for somebody else. You know, unity is what God produces and effort is what we produce right? You make every effort. Uh, why would the Bible say that? It's reminding you that there's a work for you to do on your part. You know, we don't, we don't come up with all the, the things that we are unified in. And, you know, unity might not be natural for you, but he's reminding you to make every effort for uh, the unity of the spirit. And then he calls us to this oneness. Look at the oneness he's talking about there. Seven different one statements that emphasize the oneness that we share in the gospel. And so Ephesians 4 is calling us to this oneness. Notice, one body. It's like a checklist. One body. That means that we have the common experience of being together in Christ's church. We come from diverse backgrounds, diverse, diverse giftings, diverse all kinds of things about us, but we are united together as one body in him. 
praise God, uh, that he brings us together, unites us together in our relationship uh, with Christ, that we are one spirit. We share the, the origin of our relationship with Christ as one spirit in him. That means that spirit agrees with us. You know, if you have the spirit of God in you and I have the spirit of God in me, the spirit is not going to say I'm on his side and not your side. He's not going to say I'm on your side and not my side. He brings us together in unity. The spirit allows us uh, to be drawn together as a part of, of his body. He says we have not only one body, one spirit, one hope. That means we get to spend eternity together. That we are united in the hope that we have. Without hope, uh, we were until we found Christ. Now we have hope in him and we live in a matter that is worthy of walking with him. Um, you know, you're not going to get to heaven and have these people that you didn't want to be there. You know, it's not like being in Walmart when you see somebody and go down the other aisle. Come on. Uh, you know, we, we get along together. We unite together uh, in him. We are unified together in, in his spirit. We're going to spend eternity uh, together in him. That's part of who God made us to be. We are one body. We are one spirit. We are one hope, one Lord, he says. One Lord uh, reminds us of our relationship with him. Believers confess and proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, when the early Christians said Jesus is Lord, they were not saying Caesar is Lord or the government is Lord. They were saying that Jesus is Lord. And some of them boldly committed themselves and even gave their lives for that confession. One faith of believing together, the faith that we have, the, uh, it means we agree on these important things about Christ and about his kingdom. We may have disagreement about this or that, but we can agree on these important things. We have one faith. We have one baptism. We are marked by God as believers. Maybe, maybe we think about being baptized as water baptism, but also the scripture uses the same word, baptized with the spirit, that we are united together in, in baptism in water baptism and in the baptism of the spirit. Finally, one God and father as God's adopted children, we share the same father. He is the God over all and in all and through all praise his name. We are one big adopted family that he has brought us together. Uh, he's encouraging us to look at what it feels like, what we know as we come together in unity, spiritual unity. What does a healthy church look like? We are spiritually unified together. Praise his name. Number two, a healthy uh, church, a church that is uh, marked with, uh, as a healthy body is marked by spiritual diversity, spiritual diversity. See, unity doesn't mean that we're all the same. It means, recognizes that we have diverse roles. We have div diverse abilities that enrich us and that bless the church and to help us to be healthy. We have diverse gifts, first of all, diverse gifts. Paul is talking to us in, one, in this passage, one of the key passages of the New Testament that talks about spiritual gifts. And he's saying that every believer, 
all of us, everybody watching, all believers everywhere have been blessed and received a gift, a gift of grace from God. He's not talking about saving grace. He's talking about ministry grace, the grace to serve, the grace to serve others, the grace, the, uh, the grace to build up the body of Christ. Here, grace is given to every believer to do ministry. Now, what I notice in this section is that he's talking about ministry that is exalting Christ, Christ-centered focus. Paul is highlighting Christ's generosity and how Christ Jesus died and gave himself for us and how then we turn and give of ourselves to others around us. He's recognizing that all of us have come to the place that we have these gifts that God has given to us. Notice how he describes it. Uh, you got down through verse 7, then 8, 9, and 10. It's kind of a little parenthesis. And basically verse 8, he is citing Psalm 68, and he's not really quoting it directly. He's sort of giving a summary of this psalm from Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is a victory hymn. Uh, historically, it was typical for the winners of the battle to bring back the spoils of war after a king had won this military victory. And you can see that throughout the Old Testament. Uh, here, it is recognizing that Christ has triumphed on our behalf. He has overcome our sin, death, hell, and the grave. And our Savior has now come to us as our King and has brought great gifts to all of us that we might be able to minister as the church of Christ. He won the victory and he gave you the spoils, the gift that he has offered. He, he speaks about Christ's descent and Christ's ascent and Christ is ascended now into heaven on our behalf. He came all the way down to be with us and he leaves us with gifts. Christ is above all. Christ is in all. Christ has given all. Marvel at his generosity and his authority. I know we, we recognize that Christ has given us all these gifts that we might be able to serve. So how, how are you doing? in expressing those gifts that God has given you? How are you building up the body of Christ as we build his church together using all of our gifts? You might think, well, he's, you know, he's not talking to me. I don't have any gifts. Yes, he is. Every one of us has the ability to contribute to the building up of the body of Christ. It's our responsibility. And that's the last thing on that. Diverse gifts and diverse responsibility. Christ gave us gifts so we would use them that we would make a contribution to his kingdom. These responsibilities are different for different believers. And so he notes some of the different things that people can do. You know, each of them has the same value to God. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, like in baseball. You have pitchers, and most of them are not known for hitting. And you have hitters who are not known for pitching. You know, in football, I noticed that they don't have the center play quarterback. Uh, they, have, they have somebody else that has that gifting. Uh, in basketball, they don't put all the big tall guys on the floor at the same time because probably most of them can't dribble. Uh, so they got to have people doing different things. The church is just like that. The church is made up of not just people who come and sit in a pew or watch by live stream and just kind of go their way, but we are to use our gifts, to use our talents, to use our resources to build the kingdom of God. Amen. 
That's his challenge to all of us, to recognize that he wants us to use uh, what he has given to us. He makes a list here of apostles and prophets and uh, pastors and teachers and evangelists. You know, he is recognizing that this is a place of diversity. Amen? You know, it could be a place of diversity, of, of color, of backgrounds, of environments, of skills and abilities, how we could do all those things uh, together. You know, um, we're as diverse as, um, as colors. You know, they use um, various colors in school. In the third grade, I think they do a lot of colors, you know, and what they usually get is a big glob of finger painting, Right? But there's the same diverse items, colors that could be used. And if they're mixed together right, you get the Mona Lisa, a masterpiece. All the same colors, just the way that we bring them together and to recognize that diversity that God gives to us. So uh, if, if you feel like, well, I'm not sure what my gifts are or how God wants to use me. You know, I'm so thankful that, uh, that I get to be a pastor. You know, when I was, uh, when I was first... Um, preaching. Um, it was just in a little different day, a different time. And so um, early on, people might would say uh, preacher. They would call me preacher. And I said, well, I'm all right with that, if that's what you got to say. But I'm really, I'm really pastor. Uh, that's because uh, I want to be a shepherd. Uh, you know, I love the fact that he puts pastor and teacher there together, that we can shepherd and model uh, communicating, being able to take the word of God and break it apart. Um, you know, wh where do you find yourself? Where do you find yourself in the gifts and the responsibilities that God has given to you? Uh, don't put pressure on yourself to say, well, I can't be them or I can't do that. You're just supposed to be yourself. You be who you are and the gifts that he's given to, uh, to each one of us. That's the calling uh, that he has for us. He says here, make every effort to maintain the unity, to keep the unity there. See, he's not saying that your work or your contribution has to create the unity. God creates unity, but we have to do our work. Make every effort to do the work that you're called to do. I wrote on my paper here that uh, every one of us, you either have to take up the towel or a bib. You know, we kind of get to choose. And we're going to use the towel the way that Christ modeled it washing feet, using the gifts and abilities and responsibilities that I've been given, not being immature, but growing as an eager servant of God. You know, the, the jobs that we have, the, the relationships that we share, the kids and grandkids, our lives are so much bigger than just those things or gardens or vacations or fashion. In reality, <coughs> we are put here to, as a part of something immense, we are put here to be part of something that is great and grand, that God has made us a part of the body of Christ. God is rescuing people from hell. God is calling people into his kingdom and leading them toward heaven. And we are seeing people progressively changed into his likeness. And we get to be a part of that. Praise his name. That's what his desire is for you and for me. There is nothing greater to do in your life than to spend it for the glory of God, for the glory of his kingdom, for the advancement of his kingdom. So how's it going? How are you living out that kind of work? How are you letting the body of Christ be expressed through you day after day in your walk with him? He calls us 
to be a healthy body by being spiritually united, spiritually diverse. And number three, a healthy church body is marked by spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. What's that? This call to us is to recognize that God wants us to grow, that God wants us to grow in him. You know, he doesn't want us to just stay the same. Do you feel like you're the same as you've been? I got a letter this week. I've been getting a lot of letters, actually. Um, different people, a lot of live stream people like to write me letters. Thank you for that. Uh, this particular one, um, she was describing uh, her relationship with God and just how uh, blessed she was. She wanted to just give a testimony about that. And she described how she had been growing in the church and that she had been here for two or three years and how her spirit had grown. And she gave me specific examples. That's the goal, right? That we come together. We're not just here to kind of just sit and enjoy like we got a bib on and we just, no, we're taking it in. We're eating well. And then we go out into the world and make a difference there, encouraging other people in their faith. That's the picture of this relationship with Christ, reaching out and growing to the stature of the fullness of Christ. It says right at the end of verse 13, it's an expression of completion, an expression of growing. And it makes obvious sense. The goal is for us to be like Jesus. The goal is for us to take on his character, to recognize who he is. He, he mentions it over and over throughout this section that we are connected to Christ. So how, do, how have you dedicated yourself to Jesus Christ and his church? Think about that this week. How have you dedicated yourself to building his kingdom, to what comes out of your mouth? to the things that you write or say or encourage uh, others, how you deal with conflict, how you deal with problems, how you deal with your contribution to the body of Christ. What is it that you contribute to the body of Christ? That's his encouragement to us. Jesus is our focus, following him, loving him, serving him, learning about him, going in his name, giving in Jesus' name. It's our focus on Jesus. I heard a story about an art dealer, and this particular art dealer, um, he had collected multiple masterpieces, and so he was uh, well-known for the art that he owned. He also was kind of a novice painter himself, and so uh, he couldn't paint a masterpiece, but he loved to do some painting, and uh, so when he died, he asked that there would be an auction of his art. And so in this beautiful room, they had set up all these beautiful art pieces. And in the midst of them, there were multiple pieces that he had painted himself. And so they were, they were, it was all being uh, bought that day. So um, the auctioneer comes out and he's all set up and he's ready. And there's a bunch of experts in art that are on the edge of their seat. They're so excited about these paintings that have now become available. So the, the auctioneer says, well, we're going to start with one of, one of his own paintings. And they put this painting up there. And it was a painting he had done in a time of grief and sorrow. His son had been killed in an accident. And he did this painting as an expression of love uh, to him. And so they put this painting up there and uh, said, okay, who would, like to, who would like to make a bid on this painting? Dead silence. All these great art 
masters were out there, and not one of them wanted to buy that. So there's, a, there's an older gentleman. He's sitting right down front there, and he, uh, he was there because he wanted to see what would happen to the art. He knew he would, couldn't afford any of those pieces of art, but nobody was bidding for this one. He knew the uh, man's son, and so he thought, well, nobody else is going to bid for it. I'll, I'll bid $500. Raise his hand, $500. Uh, anyone else like to bid? Going once. Going twice, sold to the gentleman on the front row for $500. Well, about that time, the auctioneer started packing up his stuff, and he's getting ready to go. And all these, all these people looking for this beautiful art to bid on uh, began to cry out, what are you doing? Where are you going? He said, well, the, the way it was all set up was that the owner of all this art decided that whoever bought the son's painting got it all. And the auction was over. That's what Paul's saying. If you get Jesus right, if you're recognizing his character, if you're living out in unity among, among ourselves in relationship, if you get Jesus, you get it all. That's what he calls for us. That's what Paul is talking about. Um, I, I, I'd love to, uh, as we close today, just challenge you. I, uh, I have a, a, a document here that I... Uh, that I keep around me. I, it, it shows up in my devotional thinking quite often. Uh, I probably read it to you two or three times over 14 years. Uh, but I just wanted to challenge you again because it talks about being part of the body of Christ, who I am, what choices have I made. So I challenge you with this. I am part of the fellowship of the body of Christ, his church. My decision has been made. The line has been drawn, and I stepped over it. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is solid in God's hand. I am finished with low living, selfish giving, shallow prayers, phony fellowship, and halfway devotion. I am done with safe planning, bare minimums, smooth knees, timid dreams, tame visions, lame divisions among us, empty talking, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, best, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. You, you in this room with me right now? I live by faith. I lean on God's presence. I love with patience. I live by prayer and I labor with the power of God's grace. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My companions may be few, but my God is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured detained, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of, of sacrifice or falter before the threat of persecution. I will not hesitate in the presence of adversaries, negotiate at the table of the enemy, capitulate at the pool of popularity, or fluctuate in the maze of mediocrity. 
I won't give up, shut up, let up, or slow down until I've stayed up, prayed up, paid up, and spoken up for the cause of the one who loved me and gave his life for me. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I will love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, love people like Jesus did, and serve the world with all I've got. I'm going to go until he comes, give until I drop, pour myself out, give myself away, and speak out until everyone hears. And when he comes back, and he will, he won't have any difficulty recognizing me. When Jesus comes, I won't be sad. I won't be sorry. I won't be slow to fly to him because I will be ready to go home because my sin was great, but his grace was greater. My mistakes were many, but his forgiveness is mightier. My past is ugly, but my future is beautiful because my heart is his. My passion is his. My mission is his. My hope is his. My joy is his. My peace is his. My life is his is his. Glory to his name. Praise his name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Paul says, walk worthy. Live a life that is worthy of that calling. Don't you love him? Praise his name. Let's take that challenge and go into prayer together. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, as we think together today about the church, we realize, Lord, that the church is uh, facing difficulties, dealing with uh, coronavirus and cultural issues and social distancing and all those things going on around us. But Lord, none of those things can change who we are. We are the people of God. We are united together in, in Christ. Lord, we thank you for this body and this church. Every one of us realizes that we are part of something special, something unique, something powerful. And it's not that this church is more special than any other church, but every church is important and special because it's where the body of Christ gathers. It's where we come together. It's where we think about you. It's, Lord, where we come with excitement about being able to worship together, even through live stream or in person. We pause today to give you glory. We cause, pause to praise your name. We need your help to be a part of this great movement of God that you want us to be a part of. Lord, we pray that you deliver us from our old self-centeredness, from our own lack of patience with others around us. We pray that you would help us to lift up Christ. Lord, we are not depending on our own energy. We're depending on you and your strength. Because, Father, we've developed these attitudes that we have asked you to build and to strengthen this character in us. We pray for our church and we pray for every church that lifts up the name of Jesus. We pray for the kingdom of God to move forward and it will be a mighty move of God. Lord, we pray that somehow as you move us beyond these days that we're in right now, we pray for great days for the church. We pray for a move of God that people will realize that you are the only hope that we have and that all of us would use our gifts, our responsibilities, our uh, resources to contribute to what it means to be the people of God at PFN and at Summit and at Southside Community and online and all around our community and our county across our state and our nation and our world. Oh God, use us, we pray.
Use us not only in lives and in relationships, but Lord, we pray that people would see us and see the unity that we share in Christ. Lord, we praise you and we ask all these things in your glorious name. And everybody said together, amen, amen.